another Saturday morning, the 23rd of September. We're just going to have a conversation and share what truth God has given us about some of the human organs, uh, mainly the heart. And that's just a starting point. It's not necessarily that we're going to stick directly to that 100% of the time. We start with that and then we see where mother wants us to go. Have you ever wondered, is there more to the word of God than just words on the page? Join us for an in-depth journey into the truth of God by means of open Socratic conversation In Proverbs chapter 2, the Word of God says, If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Welcome to Hidden Treasures Revealed. Phil, something was given to me that actually was given to me for the church gathering, and it's coming to mind this morning with what you had just said, where we start, where y'all wants us to start. Do you remember when we talked about setting the tone? That's a term that I'm sure those listening I've heard before in the world, get started the right way, set the tone. Looking at a tone from a musical perspective, you want to get a good tone when you play your musical instrument and really a a way to just get the process going in the right direction. It's a starting point that then we will evolve from that because you set the tone in a functional way, then as long as you're thinking in that functional way, you'll continue with what you're doing. And we'll, there's so many different areas that we can go because the truth is just like an ocean. You start going deep, but it goes deep ahead of you, behind you, to the left, to the right, the depth. And it just, it ties to the core of who Yah is, their truth, and it's just so many different ways we could go. And we'll never run out of things to talk about as long as we are searching and seeking and paying, te- paying attention because there's just so much in it. And with this aspect here, I'll speak about what I know of it in regards to the heart. And we talked about this before, that the heart is the lower conscience and we'll be getting into that that that's part of it but just to speak on what we've said so far that you have your conscious mind which is your heart your upper conscience and your lower conscience where the sin nature lies until circumcision of the heart where yah will remove sin from your lower conscience 
that at the beginning, as we begin in the journey of faith, all you can do is you cannot control the lower conscience because sin is actually controlling the lower conscience. All you can do is control your upper conscience, setting your mind that you're going to follow the things of Yah, walk in their ways. And that's why Yah says in the Old Testament, circumcise your heart, that you do your part. The only place at the beginning, as you go through the faith journey, before the actual circumcision of the heart done by Mother the Spirit, all you can do is work on your upper conscience, meaning that you can only attempt to do what is right in your upper conscience. That's why where you can attempt to be righteous is in your mind that by repentance that you are doing the best that you can to walk in the ways of Yah, learning and growing as you go, Yah teaching you as you go, things being brought to your attention, and you making the decision that, no, I'm not going to sin anymore. I've turned from that. I've turned to God. And I'm just going to continue to work on my mind, even though I still sin. I'm not okay with it. I'm not in agreement with it. I will never be okay with it. And I'm going to do everything I can not to sin. So you do your part in that way until you have opportunity to actually by the circumcision of the heart done by a mother that you can actually get godly things into your lower conscience and for them to stick and for them to actually grow because the land that was once cursed because of sin, the curse has been lifted. So now those times when you would attempt to get things in your heart, they would be choked out by the weeds and the thistles that now the godly things can get in and actually take root where you can actually have self-control because you're not able to have the opportunity to actually be and use this fully the full capability to be able to, to control yourself because you could only control your mind at first, your upper conscience, but the sin nature would still be in control of your lower conscience. So you're still battling what you want to do, but you're not able to do because the sin nature is still there according to the writing of Paul in Romans. So with this, and Phil, we had actually talked about this in maybe a week or so ago in our Sunday evening time that we were talking a little bit about the actual heart itself, the actual four chambers. And if you could speak the, what you got on the actual physiology of the heart in the four chambers, which will help us in this actual aspect of the actual human heart. Before I do that, I'm going to first put this disclaimer out there. This is always the naysayers and people who want to pick apart everything you say. We are not doctors. Um, I don't know about you, but I I did not take anatomy. Okay, what, what I will speak about, I will speak 
in what they call layman's terms, because that's what I am when it comes to that. I'm not, I can give you uh, the things that God, that God gives me. And that's the understanding that I get about this uh, is similar to the psychology of the mind. Uh, we talk about psychology. We talk about psychology of the mind, but we're not professing that from a worldly taught perspective and we're not jumping into some counseling thing from a worldly perspective. If we counsel people, it'll be counseled through, uh, it'll be biblical counseling, which will uh, help their life completely if they follow the instructions along with it and they want to change. And so it is important that people understand that the information that we're putting out there, sometimes we'll put out there from the knowledgeable perspective of what we know. And then other times it'll be things that mother uh, Abba and Yeshua have revealed to us. And the beauty part is, is that they know the human body and they know everything much greater than we do. And therefore they're the ones that we should be uh, paying attention to and adhering to. And I look at, what I've learned from a psychology perspective to be more important than what is being taught in the world from a psychology perspective, because what we get from God gives us the greatest ability to achieve and overcome things in the world because God knows better. We have humankind who thinks they know. And, they, and to some degrees, you listen to some of the, uh, psychologists, they've got a, they've got a good grip on, uh, things of the mind, but God has taught us and shown us things that go much deeper than what's taught in the world. And so it's important. I'm not going to try to get caught up in technical terminology and, uh, try to make it look like, uh, from a worldly perspective that I've been trained in it when I haven't been. Okay. I'm giving the correlation that God has allowed me to be able to see and recognize through. And I've done a little bit of study of the heart here recently because it just came up to think about. And one more thing before I go into <clears throat> that aspect is that what we need to know Okay, and this is why we have to understand that we were made in the image of God. Okay, that everything that the human body is made up of. Okay, we have a physical human body with the uh, all the different organs. You have the bones, the skin, all that stuff transfers to a spiritual body but from a different, it's not a physical perspective. It's a uh, spiritual perspective, just like we talk about with the law, that you have the written code that you're under the law that has to do with the physical realm in the world. And then you have the spirit of the written code, the spirit of the law, which within the understanding of the physical 
part of the law. You take all the laws that God put in place, and then you correlate those to the spirit of the law, because it's the spirit of the law, which is eternal. It's the uh, spirit of the law that will give us that rescue from ultimately ourselves, our own selfishness and the things of who we are. And so just thinking about that, we're going to talk about the heart, but just as important as the heart is the kidney because the kidney has a function and there's a reason for it. And without the kidney and without any external uh, aspects, then you're going to die. So each uh, organ and each part of the body is uh, important. Now, you have the vital organs, so you can live without an ear. And you can live without an arm. You can't live without a heart. You can't live without a liver. You can't live without a, uh, uh, a mind. Well, you can live. You could be brain dead, but still, your body still functions. So you can live without your mind. But you can't. I. Uh, you can't live a, uh, a good functional life that way. Um, and you've had this because uh, you have three children. When Cindy would go in to get checked by the doctor, what do they look for? Do they look for the kidney? When they're looking for the infant, what do they look for? Look for the heartbeat because the heartbeat is without, that's the core that I was just saying about there's a, a formula one driver that had a skiing accident and he's been in either a, in a coma, they induced the coma, but he's laying there. The heart is beating and his brain is, I wouldn't, he's not brain dead, but he's laying there with the brain is still doing what it does. But yeah, like you said, without the heart that like if somebody gets shot in the heart, instant death, or you get stabbed or something like that, that that's the, the core thing because the word says above all guard your heart because that's where really your life resides because that's your, your programming, your soul, like every, not your soul, but necessarily, but the, the core of who you are, that that's your, your actual life being. And, and before you speak about the, what Yah gave you on the heart, the, this came to mind with the, what you said about the body, that the, physical body we have is the covering of the spirit the, of who we are. Cause this, when I'm looking at you, it's not the physical body that, that our life is. It's the spirit of who we are, our spirit, that the spirit is covered by the physical and the same thing with the written code, that the written code is covering the spiritual, just like the physical body is covering the inside to where you have the written code, which is the physical, which the being in the flesh that you're under law, which you can't live forever in the body of flesh, because once you perish, if you're going to enter the kingdom of, of heaven, you have to have a spiritual body. You can't, the body of flesh cannot, because of sin, the sinful nature in the flesh cannot be in the kingdom. It just made me think of it's a the, it says like a veil is over the old covenant because it's like the physical body is covering it until you get out of the flesh 
and you get in the spirit, then like, just like you're a doctor doing a colonoscopy or doing a surgery with a camera that now you can get inside the actual body and you can see the internal and you can see the actual reality itself because the reality of who we are is our spiritual being. And it's just like the Messiah is referred to as the law. The written code was a shadow, just like this covering, but the reality is Messiah, the spirit of the law, the, the reality of the tabernacle, all the ordinances and the, all the workings of the parts of the tabernacle. It's just giving a, it's giving you a shell covering so you can understand the inside of it, which is behind the veil is the, the true light and the true bread. And it just made me think that this is a, the, this is giving us a picture of you have to come to it physically first in the old Testament before you can transfer to the internal spiritual eternal aspect. And that's why Messiah's priesthood is so much greater than the priesthood of Aaron, because his is a eternal endless life priesthood versus uh, men that would be priests would die. Well, just like the physical body, you're going to die and it won't continue, but it, it has just like the body, the body has a purpose for a time, but the greater purpose is to know God and to be joined with them. And then the eternal aspect of we shed this body of flesh and then we get a new spiritual body that we're clothed with glory. So it just, it came to mind that Yah's just given us a, as it's coming to me, just a beautiful picture of we get the, the old and the new Testament. We have a physical and then a spiritual. You don't go to the spiritual first. You go to the physical to learn the spiritual. Right. And so I've got a, uh, this would call, I'll call it a captain obvious question, but we don't think about how this correlates to faith. And so I'll ask you a question. Okay. Can you have a spiritual body without first having a physical body? Can you have a spiritual body? No, I don't see that you could. If you're not born into this world, can you have a spiritual body? No, because you have to, you have to be born first to have come to faith and then you'll get the spiritual Right, spiritual because, body. Right, because the soul comes at conception. So when there's conception, you have a soul. Before that, it's not a soul. It's not. It hasn't come into being. So you have to have a physical body before you have a spiritual body. Okay, that's a fact of life. I mean, you you just no matter. I don't care. I mean, I do care, but whether you claim spirituality of God or just you you're one with nature or whatever it is you can't have that spiritual perspective without first having the physical body okay so watch this and this is what mother gave to me so your physical body okay is the representation of the law of God Okay, the law of God is the physical body, and you must have the law of God first before you can have the spirit of the law. It, it's an absolute must. Okay, so the, and this goes back to why we say you have to go to the Old Testament first. 
that you have to go to the written code. You have to prove repentance to God by your striving to live it according to what it says, knowing that it's not going to save you. But what you're doing is you're proving obedience to God by making every effort and every attempt that you do that. So the physical body is the, the law is the physical body. And you must have that first before you can have the spiritual body. And this is why, again, reiterating why we talk about you have to go through the old covenant law first before you can have the spirit of the law. You, if you don't go to the original covenant to understand what God was looking for and expecting from the original covenant perspective, then you can't have the spiritual because you have to be born of flesh and then born of spirit. Messiah told Nicodemus that you have to be born of the water and the spirit and the water comes first, the spirit comes second. And so you must, it's an absolute must that you go through the old Testament because that gives you one, it gives you the fear of God. It gives you the, the fear of Abba so that you'll repent and turn to them. And then it gives you an understanding of what the law says so that you can then correlate it to the spiritual perspective, like we're going to do with the heart of the human body and how we're going to correlate that to uh, the spiritual. In order for you to have a spiritual heart, you have to have a physical heart. So you have to go through the physical body perspective of the law of God in order to get to the spirit of it, in order to get into the good grace of God. Because what are you repenting of if you haven't gone through the old covenant? And one might argue, well, that's the old covenant. And well, that's what Paul, Peter, James, John, all the books in the New Testament were talking to people who were privy to the law who had the physical body of the law first, and then they could understand the spirit of it. And it just as we were sitting here and you were talking, Mother just kind of popped that idea in my mind that the law is the physical body, but you have the physical law. The under the code is the physical body. Then you have to get to the spirit of the law, but without you having that physical body of under the law, it is an absolute impossibility for you to have the spirit of the law. You can't skip one and go to the other. It doesn't work that way. God is a God of order, and you have to do it within the order that God has laid out in order that you could do it. And there's reason, because the old covenant is there and is intended to bring about your understanding of guilt, your guilt, which then will turn you to repenting towards God because you know your guilt. And when you know your guilt before a perfect God, that's where you have an opportunity to, you're either going to continue to live your life the way you want to and I uh, have regret or you're going to live the life the way that God wants you to live and you get there by having remorse. Worldly sorrow brings regret. Godly sorrow 
will bring remorse, and remorse is a driving force that drives you to make a change in your life in order that you will be pleasing with God. And so as we're talking about the physical body, just another piece mother putting in there that we're going to talk about the heart, but many other things go along with that as well uh, in the process. Did you have something come to mind? Just had a <clears throat> a few scriptures just correlating to this. Who will save me from this body of death? Because of the written code, you're under law, and that's why Messiah died. Because if he had been given a spiritual body at the beginning, he couldn't die. That you've heard this, that, well, all things were made by him and for him and through him. That all that, that means that he was in heaven and he was walking around creating because he was with the father and mother. But no, he was still in the loins of his parents. He hadn't come into his existence yet. So when he came as an example for us, so he came in the physical first. And then the spiritual, and what's coming to mind is maybe in Paul's writing where he says that it's the physical first, then the spiritual. So we even have <clears throat> more with that. But when Messiah was crucified, it says in Colossians that when he was nailed to the tree, that he, the written code was nailed to the tree. Well, because his body the law was nailed to the tree, the written code, and says you are dead to the law through the body of Christ. So you're dead to the physical so that you can then be married to another. And it's the same way that you've got to go to the physical and you have to die to selfishness, which is you nailing the written code being nailed to your cross, meaning you crucify yourself with Messiah, that you're putting selfishness, this body that's under law to death, so that now you can transfer to the renewed covenant, which is by the spirit of the law, that that's where life is. Because in Paul's writing, there is no condemnation for those that are in Messiah because the law of the spirit of life set me free from this body, the law of sin and death, the written, the written code, the under the law. So the law of God is the same. It never, it, it's eternal. It's just, the written code is this body that has to be, you have to crucify yourself. You have to die <clears throat> to the old self so that you can then transfer to life because everlasting life is in the spiritual realm. There cannot be sin in the spiritual realm. That's why get rid of this tent, just like get, get rid of it, put it out. And so that as it says, you are no longer in the flesh you were in the spirit. I, I just had several y'all giving me their word of like, do you see how it correlates to the, this is awesome. Cause now you can look at, cause we've got the blood that's in the body. You've got the brain, the heart, the lungs, just fascinating to see how this is going to correlate to the spiritual. Now the feet, the arms, it, it just, what would you see where y'all goes with this? <clears throat> So in regards to the heart in the human body, uh, and again, going off information given by y'all, and I know there's, there's 
what I'm going to speak about, there's more to the depth of the heart within itself and the inner workings of it. But we're going to keep it more on a surface perspective just to bring about the understanding that uh, Yah wants us to bring out for today. And so you have the you have four chambers of the heart. You have two upper chambers, two lower chambers. And uh, I'm not, you know, people who have taken anatomy will know those, uh, the terminology for it. The terminology really doesn't matter. What, what you need to know is that the top two chambers are smaller than the bottom two chambers. The top two chambers receive blood in. The bottom two chambers push blood out. Okay, for for distribution. And so one of the chambers of the upper part of the heart brings in the blood that is uh, has the oxygen has been depleted from. Then it pumps it into it puts it into the lower section, the lower section pushes it to the lungs, then it returns to the other upper section and then it goes into the the next lower section and it pushes that oxygenated blood through the body. Okay. So that's, so you have the two upper chambers and the two lower chambers. The two lower chambers are larger um, because the ones receiving the blood don't have to be as strong as the ones pushing the blood. Cause I mean, I can't, I don't know exactly how many miles of uh, blood veins and vessels and arteries and all that stuff you have in your body, but just I, interesting that the heart correlates to and we've said that your your heart is your lower conscience okay which that's that's part of it but you're we want to bring this out for understanding that your heart is your mind in completeness it's your conscious mind and your subconscious mind. Your conscious mind is the upper chambers of the heart. Your lower conscience is the, um, your subconscious is the bottom chambers of the heart. And so two of them flow, control what's coming in and two control what's going out. And what goes out from the bottom chambers has to come in through the top chambers. And this is important because there are two places in Scripture where it specifies that, and remember, God's not going to ask you to do something that's not impos- that's impossible for you to do. Uh, now, obviously, with them, it's possible. And so... There's two, two places that talk about circumcision of the heart. One from the Old Testament, where God tells the people, circumcise your heart. Okay. And then in the New Testament, it's the circumcision of the heart done by the Spirit. So we understand that there's a part of the heart that we circumcise, and then a part of the heart that uh, mother circumcises when we have the fullness of faith in Messiah. And so our 
aspect of circumcision. And circumcision, uh, the reason this is used is because it's to get rid of the excess uh, worldly pleasures, we'll say. Um, you know, physical, there's a physical reason God had the circumcision of the body, and that's to remove that which is not necessary. It doesn't mean that, yes, it was part of the body, but there's, it's not necessary and it's much harder to keep clean. Uh, so you remove that foreskin. Well, that's the objective is us to remove that which is dirty and not necessary in our minds so that we have circumcised our heart. So our heart that we have control over is the upper chambers. That what's what I'm letting in. Okay. Now there's a problem because we have the sin nature that covers our heart. And that is the foreskin of the heart uh, that mother has to remove. So we have to remove from the from the conscious mind, which puts you in a place like Abraham and Noah and the prophets and where they were, they believed God and they repented to God and they had a credit of righteousness, but they weren't able to have the circumcision of the heart because Messiah, circumcision of the heart done by mother because Messiah hadn't come yet, but they circumcised their hearts, which means they, in their conscious mind, I believe God, I'm going to obey everything they tell me to do. I, uh, and that means when I fail at it, when I falter at it, then I'm going to continue to walk in it, even though I'm failing and I'm going to offer the sacrifice that God has put out there for me to offer. Now, we can only offer a sacrifice, uh, not not a physical sacrifice, because we don't have a place that we could actually offer those anyway, but it's your, your mindset of sacrifice, that you're willing to sacrifice yourself. And so you, when God says to the Israelites, circumcise your hearts, okay, he's telling them, you do it in your conscious mind. You cannot, there's, there's a stone that covers your subconscious, your, your lower part of your heart that, well, once there's actually two stones, one covers the upper chambers in the spiritual perspective, one covers the lower chambers. You are to remove the stone, which is unbelief in the upper chambers of your heart in your, your conscious mind. No, I believe God. I agree with them. They are perfect. 100%. I agree totally with them and I'm turning my life over to them. Okay. Well, I've circumcised my heart. So that gives me the forgiveness of sins. I've circumcised my conscious mind so that even though in that state, I will still sin. I have the forgiveness of sin. That's what the forgiveness of sin is for that time where you circumcise your heart. You're done with yourself. 
and you prove to God, even though you're not capable of not sinning, that you're proving to God that you agree with them and that you will never accept that this is okay and you will never stop fighting that. And when you do that, then you have the opportunity for mother to come in and remove the junk and the unnecessary part of the subconscious. And if you think about it, okay, your conscious mind is what puts things into the lower conscience. And when you have a stone covering your conscious mind, everything you're putting into the lower conscience is wicked, evil, bad. Now, we're talking from a uh, sin and righteous spiritual and physical perspective. Um, because there are things, even though you have the stone on your heart, you can still use your subconscious from a worldly perspective to do and accomplish things from a worldly perspective. It's not as though, well, I can't do anything with my subconscious. No, the problem is, is in your mind, you can't, you don't remove that stone, which then you just keep putting the garbage in. You receive that in the upper chamber and you push it down into the lower chamber. And this is why Messiah says that uh, what comes out of the mouth is the overflow of the heart. So what comes out of your mouth is the overflow of your, your subconscious. Your, your lower conscious, your, your lower heart, because of what you've put into it, what you've allowed into it, then that's what comes out, and you can't help it. Whatever you put in is what's going to come out. If you put sin in, sin is going to come out. And all sin is disobedience to God. And so it, it is really important that we understand that when we talk about the heart, we're, we're talking about your conscious mind and your lower conscious mind. And just reiterating again, the upper chambers are your conscious mind. That's like the upper part of your mind is your consciousness, your, what you're aware of. It's right there. It's on the surface. And then your subconscious is the lower chambers of the heart and it, does, it makes sense because it's in your conscious mind that you allow things in because of pleasure or because of self-preservation or whatever reason you let them in. Then it gets into your heart and over time in your life of you letting them in over and over again, then that's in your heart. And that's why uh, a song from Journey can come up and I automatically start singing the words to the song because I put those songs in from the past over and over. I let those in through my conscious mind, through my upper chamber, into the lower chamber. And then as soon as you hear that that first set of the, the music coming through, you, you, you're ready for when, when it's time for the lyrics that you start either uh, lip syncing or you sing it out loud, however you do, that's not coming from your conscious mind. That's coming from your subconscious because you put it in, it goes into the lower chamber, the lower chamber pushes it out. 
and the, the lower chamber can only push out that what is allowed in. And so from a spiritual perspective, we're, we're not taking in the good stuff and putting it in our lower conscience so that when we react to something, if we've been putting the good in, our reaction will be favorable and will be good. It will be, there will be no problem with our response because we've put the good in. And this is why we say you have to train, you have to brainwash yourself, you have to mind control yourself by repetition in things to one, get out the old stuff that has been programmed in there and two, to put in a new life. This is the, the, the new life, which is a continual process of getting rid of the old physical part of the law and replacing it with the spiritual part of the law. And the reason people can't get away from sin is because they haven't lived the covenant law, the, the body of flesh in the law. They haven't lived that out in accordance with what God said by repenting and, and walking in his ways, doing your absolute best. If you set the old covenant aside, it's an impossibility for you to have a godly spiritual walk because you have to have the physical first. And so, again, just the importance of understanding that you have to have that physical perspective. But it's just so interesting how it, even like with Messiah, when he said what comes out of the mouth is the overflow of the heart, that he knows that what comes into your mind, you're going to put in your heart, and what's in your heart will come out. And this is why we've talked about this even recently. Listening is a huge perspective. And this is why it's so important to listen to what you're saying, because you will tell on yourself every time. So listen to yourself so you can catch yourself and make a correction so somebody else doesn't have to. Because their, their correction needs to be, happen. It's just a matter of whether you self-correct or whether somebody else makes a correction for you, that you recognize, okay, this isn't uh, appropriate, it's not acceptable, I'm not going to do that, I'm changing that mindset, I'm changing that behavior. Um, but as far as the the chambers of the heart and what mother had given me, that, that right there, and even as I was speaking, mother giving more information and understanding in the process of it as well. And it's just so... Uh, great the way they bring things out that you must have that physical body which is the written code that's the physical body of the spiritual body that you make a transformation when you crucify yourself you've you're done with selfishness you crucify yourself with Christ then once you've crucified yourself with Christ, 
the physical body is done away with. The, the under the law perspective is done away with, but we still live in accordance with the law from the spiritual perspective, and that's why we don't sin. But if you still sin and you know you sin, then you haven't done away with the body of the law, which is under the covenant, and you can profess all you want that you believe in God or you've committed yourself to God. But if you don't go through the first part, you have to get that into your heart first, that all the things that God said is true and they want us to live them. And Paul even said, we don't nullify the law by this faith that we have. We uphold the law because of the faith that we have. And so I'll turn it over to you uh, for your thoughts on uh, whatever has come to mind as we're talking. I'm just seeing more of a correlation of the physical and the spiritual Messiah's teaching. They were getting on as disciples because you are looking to eat with unclean hands. Well, what does it matter if your hands are dirty? It's more important what's on the inside. Clean the inside of the dish. Clean the lower conscience. Get sent out because that's where all the evil and the murders and the all the things that are against what God wants. And then, then the outside will be clean also. So don't focus on looking at somebody's hands and saying, well, they're, you're dirty. No, you're dirty on the inside, which is much greater because whenever you get upset, I'll just, well, actually, let me, I'll put this back to myself. When I react instead of respond, it's coming out of my lower conscience because you just, as you just said, it comes out quicker. The word of God says, be, quick to listen. So what that means is be in your conscious mind, listen to what you're saying before you, well, you can listen to other people as you're listening to yourself, but listen to yourself first, be slow to speak because that programming that's been put in you, it's going to be, you're going to be more inclined to be quick. So slow yourself down, slow to become angry. It doesn't say you cannot get angry. But God knows that slow to be angry because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Because when you're angry, be slow to anger. Because if you're slow to anger in your conscience mind, you'll know why you're angry because it's a fair and just reason. Something is unjust. And I'm going to point this out, but it's going to be controlled. I'm not going to react. I'm going to respond. When Messiah turned the tables, he was quick to listen and slow to speak. He was evaluating, this is unjust because my father's house is a house of prayer. You've turned it into a a den of thieves, and that's not fair and just, so this has got to go. It was controlled. And this is not just for anger. It's for, as well, listening to yourself. Be quick to listen to make sure you know what you're talking about. Do you, are you speaking what you know, uh, speak what you know, because that's, that's the goal and faith is the goal is, is to speak what you know and know what you speak, because sometimes we do speak what we think we know, but we don't know it, but we learn it as we speak it. 
So ultimately, the goal is, is that when you speak, make the goal that when you profess something as true, according to God, make sure that you know that it's true. If you don't know for sure, just say, hey, I'll speak what I know about this. But on this, just like you mentioned with the heart, there's other things that we don't know about enough to speak it as we know it. So we'll just leave that to the side. We'll just speak uh, what we know. We have a, a physical representation here to understand the spiritual. We have the parable of the sower, the sowing the seed. And what happens? One seed falls on hard ground. One seed falls on a ground that's got rocks in it. One seed falls on where you got thorns and thistles. Yah giving a picture of talking about your mind, that what does it fall on? What's the person that actually has ears to hear? That when you take in things, it's just like a seed, that the word of God is seed. You take it in, you get it planted in your heart, and then it'll grow out of the heart. And whatever comes out of the heart makes the person who they are. And it makes sense that in parables, a parable is a physical and a spiritual. I give you parables. I'm giving you a physical so that you can understand. I'm giving you a physical so you can understand the the spiritual aspect because you have to come to the, the physical first to understand the spiritual. The blood of somebody, that this came to mind, you, you, the blood that's in our bodies, that in the Old Testament it says the life is in the blood. Well, if you were, if we were to just, I stab you and all your blood runs out, oh, you'll live. Well, no, the, the blood is what's uh, pumped by the heart. So the heart is pumping that life giving blood. So the, the physical is you, you have this physical blood in your body that's first, but ultimately it's the blood of Messiah, the spiritual blood, which has the life in it that was poured out on the altar. So his spiritual blood was poured out on the altar so that we could have life that when we give our life and we mentioned this before that we crucify ourselves with Christ and our blood is mixed with his and therefore because his sacrifice he has the blood of his parents the pure blood that's accepted but we're accepted in him when we do the the exact same thing that the the we have the Old Testament, the New Testament, the, 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 what's coming to mind is that it's the physical aspect that teaches you the spiritual because it says the law is a schoolmaster to lead us to Messiah so that we can be justified by faith because we cannot be justified by the works of the law, the written code, because no, this body is going to die that it's justification by faith in Messiah, but you start out under the law so that you can realize that you're in a body of death, that you are convicted. We talked about this the other day, that because you're guilty, the sentence is death. So you're already been convicted when you're under law because you're just waiting for that ultimate punishment, which is hell. So you escape being under sin to where you can be in the law which brings righteousness is walking by the spirit of the law. I'm, I'm just seeing so many correlations here with the, the physical has to be first that you've got to 
listen to the law and the prophets because that's that's the physical that's first because even if somebody were to come back from the dead oh they'll believe no no if they listen to the law and the prophets they'll find it if they don't listen to the law and the prophets it doesn't matter if every person that's out here is raised from the dead because that programming that's in the lower conscience is going to come out and you would think that well a miracle like that would just convince everybody it wouldn't because if it would then the word of god would say oh yeah go ahead and send them back with what i'm referring to i'll just stop for a moment what i'm referring to is the parable that messiah gave about the rich man and lazarus that the rich man was in torment and he was calling out to abraham to just give him even if he could just dip his just give him like a drop of water for his tongue just to soothe this agony and he says if you could just send somebody back and they'll repent and he it was like son no that you had your time in your life that even if somebody came back from the dead they wouldn't believe it they have the law moses and the prophets let them hear them and that just came to mind that's a beautiful representation messiah is telling you if you want to be on this side of paradise abraham's side you've got to go through the law and the prophets because if you don't listen to the law and the prophets, what do you need a savior for? Well, Messiah is the savior. He's the one that was to save the people from their sin. But if you don't realize through the physical that you're a sinner and that you're in a body of death, then you're not going to cry out to Messiah and say, who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Messiah, our Lord, because Messiah, by him giving his life, his sacrifice, we're able to be saved just like him because Messiah had to give his sacrifice so that he would be saved from the body of death. He came to be just like us in every way. So the sin, just like the priesthood, it was to cover his body and also the sins of the people. So even the correlation of the high priest, the physical high priest, Aaron, the spiritual high priest, Yeshua in the order of Melchizedek, Yah is giving the spirit, the physical first to understand the spiritual. Noah, you have the boat, the ark, the physical, the spiritual, and Messiah, the ark, the ark of the covenant, the body of Messiah. Abraham, in the physical, go to this land that I'm telling you to go to. Leave your family, the spiritual. Anybody that doesn't leave father and mother isn't worthy of me. So we, we have a, we're given pictures on both sides, but what will happen is, is because of people that teach falsely and also people that follow those false teachers, assume that because Messiah came that you're in the new covenant, that because he died, that now the new covenant is established and the old covenant is done away with. It's only done away with for the one that has been crucified with Christ. So the old covenant the under the law is still there messiah made a way for the renewed covenant but people will assume that well i've accepted jesus as lord and savior and now i'm in the new covenant no the renewed covenant is the spiritual aspect that in messiah because you've come to the father first and he's drawn you to the son and the son draws you to mother that that's when you have the circumcision of the heart. That's when you can cross the Jordan and enter into the renewed covenant, the promised land, which your ultimate destination is the kingdom of heaven. 
but you must walk through the journey. You must leave Egypt. You must go into the desert and then you must cross into the promised land. And you have to do that physically and you've got to do it spiritually. You cannot cross the Jordan into the promised land, which is giving us a picture of circumcision of the heart where you cross from the, into the, the promised land. But that promised land is we have the hope of salvation for the promised land, which is the kingdom of heaven. So all of the, this picture here, we could look at this as you want to get to the, as here's the, the term, get to the heart of the matter, get to the core of the matter. Well, the reality of all this is the spiritual aspect, but the shadow is the physical. Just like this is that the, the true reality of me and you isn't this shell that we have, that if it were to be, you know, show me who you are, well, that we're a spirit and we have this tent, but with circumcision of the heart, you are no longer in the flesh, but in the spirit. And yeah, this could just go a lot further, but that's what came to mind. I'm just really seeing so much more parallels to understand that you must understand the Bible first, because you could look at the Bible as the physical body and the word of God as the spiritual, that as an unbeliever, you have to read the Bible first in order to understand the physical. And then we live by the word of God, which is the spiritual to where Yes, the word of God is in the Bible, but we live by the word of God. We live by obedience to God, not because it's written in a book. It's because that's our, our very life now. So just another correlation to that as well, the Bible versus the word of God. Well, Messiah, when he said, and this was one of the ones where it kind of caught him off guard, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. He was speaking both physically and spiritually. Okay. Cause he was speaking about, okay, eat of my flesh, which means follow me, do what I do. I'm the example. You do what I do. Uh, act as I act. I, uh, I say, I do everything the father tells me to do. You say, I do everything the father tells me to do. Not as a, uh, copycat perspective, but as a true reality that that's what you set your mind in, that you're going to live the life that Messiah lived here so that you can live the life that he lives now where he is because he's transferred uh, from the physical to the spiritual. But now he does have a physical body, but it's a perfected physical body. And so when he said, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, that's exactly, and he meant it in the order that he did. Eat of my flesh until, so you're, you're doing everything you can to be obedient to God until you uh, share in his blood, which is you crucifying yourself with him, that you're sharing that blood. Then when you have circumcision of the heart, you have a transformation to where you can actually live his life in the spiritual perspective and you have the blood and remember his blood was the blood of Abba and Ema because he was conceived by Abba and Ema by the father and the mother and then placed in Mary, Mary's blood and uh, Joseph's blood were not in 
Messiah, the blood that was in Messiah was the blood of God. That's how he was God and man. He was fully God because he had the perfect blood of God racing through his veins, but he was placed in Mary so he could have the fullness of flesh just as we do so that by us following his example, then we will eat of his flesh. We will live the life he lived while he was here. We will do what he said to do. And then we will drink of his blood by we crucify ourselves with Christ that no, I'm done with me. I'm, I'm, I'm dying to myself, my selfishness. I'm not, it, it doesn't mean anything else to me. And then I get that transformation at circumcision of the heart to now I have the mind of Christ and I have the heart of Christ. And this is uh, kind of what was being spoken of uh, about David back in the day, David having a heart after God's own heart. Well, that was David's objective was to live the best he could. Now, without circumcision of the heart, he was not in a place where he, he could not sin. And therefore, he had to keep offering sacrifices, just like uh, anybody from the old, tavern, uh, old Covenant perspective. But that's what gives you the ability to actually spiritually have a heart after God's own heart. And if your heart is after God's heart, your, your concern is about what God's concern is, not you trying to make God's concern about what yours is. Just some uh, interesting thoughts that came to mind. And so when I oh, go ahead, I just had a one to share a scripture that came to mind that brought more information. Absolute proof that if you do not crucify yourself with Christ first, that you cannot be a part of the new covenant because Messiah's own words, when he was at the last supper, this is the new covenant in my blood. You must die my death because you can't transfer into the spiritual covenant without death first. So what he's saying is I'm bringing about this new order that is going to be an eternal priesthood, but it's not until I die that it's not going to be put into place. So when I die and I'm raised, okay, now the new covenant that you can be a part of the new covenant that I'm a part of. But if you don't die my death, like you said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, he says, you have no life in you. Well, the spirit brings life. As it said, the flesh accounts for nothing because the flesh will perish. The, there's no um, meaning the flesh that not saying that there's not a body in, in the kingdom, but it's not a fleshly body like we have with sin in it. That this, we cannot, as the word says, we can't be in this flesh and live before God. We would die because of the that actual aspect. So what's, what's going on is that you assume that because Messiah came that you're walking in the new covenant. But no, you're not walking in the new covenant until you have circumcision of the heart because you can't have circumcision of the heart done by mother unless you died to selfishness first. Then... You're in Messiah, so now you're in the new covenant with God, the everlasting covenant, and you're sealed by mother, and you have the hope 
of glory. So we dwell in Messiah, awaiting for his return. But if you break that seal by blasphemy of mother, then you're out of Messiah, and then therefore you have no more hope of glory. So we have the hope of salvation. If somebody were to say, are we saved? We would say, we're in the process of being saved, but we're not saved yet because we haven't perished this earth yet. So we have the hope of eternal life. As long as we continue in it, steadfast to the end, that we're not, it's not done like saved until we actually, the fullness of it is done. Just thinking about that perspective, could we say that provided we continue in the faith, that we are saved? Actually, as you said that, I thought of if you you put money aside, like I've saved money and, and I'm waiting there, as long as I stay in that bank, just like that, like as long as I stay in that position and I'm growing and increasing and I don't exit Christ, that yes, I would agree, yes, that you are saved. But we're what our hope is, is we're waiting for that final day where we, it's fully, like we have the full body, the perfected body, but I would agree, yes, that yes, you are saved, you are set aside as long as you continue in him, steadfast and growing, because if not, then well, this isn't worthy anymore, so I'm going to take this away, and I'm not going to save it anymore, because you will save things that are precious to you. So, yes, I agree. Right, and and the reason I brought that out was just because people, when, well, I'm saved, that puts them in a mindset that there's nothing I there's nothing for me to do. There's nothing I have to do because I'm saved. It's done. And that's not the case. You can be saved, but we but we remember that I can lose that salvation because of sinning, uh, having the knowledge of truth and returning to sin, then I forfeit that and therefore I am no longer saved. And just because we're in a position where we are slated for and have salvation, even to the point that we're considered to have the fullness of deity in bodily form, what that's speaking about is your spiritual life here while you live in this body of flesh, that you have the fullness of deity, which is the spirit of the law, no sin, and you're, you're done with the flesh, but as you live in this life, you have to have that physical body until you, you get transferred to the new body like Messiah has, but we won't get that until the end. And just as just good clarification aspect of. And, and it's, it's good for me as well, because we were just talking about that. You can have, you can have something in your mind that you understand by getting it to somebody else to, you know what you mean to say, but say it, say what you mean and don't leave room for interpretation. So this is a good learning for me as well. And and for yourself too, as we go, that when we speak the truth of God, we should speak it as though it's not that it's absolutely true. And we don't leave room for interpretation of it to say, well, you said that, but what about this? And it's just more practice of listening to yourself. All right. Why am I bringing this out? Why am I saying it? Because it's coming across, it's going to come out to somebody I do not want to leave room for man's interpretation because it's God's truth and 
to where, okay, well, nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away. And so it just made me think of that, that I knew what I meant in my mind to say, but that doesn't mean that the delivery comes out to somebody that, well, wait a minute, I am saved. Well, what do you mean by that? As opposed to, well, here's what I mean. When you're saved, it means this, where you're that. So just to help as I'm speaking. And we're in the process of being saved. We're not, we haven't, it hasn't come to the saved. We're in the process of being saved. We're in the saving process. Not that we're saving, but Yah is Mm -hmm. saving us. We're in that process. And so until it is actually complete, then we can, at that point, when it is complete, when we've entered into the kingdom, then we can never leave it. We can never uh, lose it uh, or have it go away. And and what you were talking about goes back to the listening perspective that you brought out and the scripture, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That is a scripture that tells you and this is, you know, this is something we just talked about recently is that's a scripture that tells you to be methodical in the way you speak, because here's how you have to do it at first. Okay. Quick to listen. Okay. So I'm going to be saying stuff and as stuff's coming out of my mouth, I'm going to be listening to it. And was that right? And is that okay? But the objective goal of that scripture, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry is for you to listen to your thoughts before they become words. Because, and this is why we want to be methodical, which means our uh, the pace at which we speak will slow down. We won't be going a thousand miles an hour. Now, if we know what we're talking about, we've already settled it with God and we know that it's absolutely true, then it may come out, in a little bit more of a rapid succession, but the objective goal, even in that is to be, uh, mother gives you the ability to use your mind in that way, to be able to evaluate and make sure that before you speak it, that that's where you want to catch it. You want to catch it when it's in the thought process before it becomes words, because, okay, I'm going to take this thought captive. I'm going to make it submissive to Messiah. How is this going to sound? Okay, I know it's true, but does it leave room for somebody else to uh, interpret it? And if we're speaking revelation, we don't want to leave room for interpretation. And so we want to make sure that we're as clear as we can. People will still distort the truth, it was spoken about, I think Peter spoke about Paul and some of the things that he wrote and how difficult they were, but how uh, people would distort what he was saying for their own good or for their own gain. And we want to make sure that being an advocate for God, that we are representing God in the absolute best way that we can. And in order to do that, we have to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It was much better if you speak all the time, like I'm speaking now, and make sure that what comes out of your mouth is true. Then you don't have to go back and apologize or well, I messed up here because why? Because I wasn't listening. 
Okay. And again, in the process of it, you have to listen as it's coming out of your mouth. You have to, you have to go through a process of getting to the point where as the thoughts are coming in your mind, you're evaluating them and you're making sure that they line up with the reality of truth of God. And then you let them out. Uh, That's the quick to listen, slow to speak. And when you're methodical like that, then you will be slow to become angry because you'll be evaluating, is this anger? Am I taking this personal? Should should I be getting angry about this? Or is this, uh, is this going against God and there's rightful reason to be angry? Then I won't be taking it personal, personal, and I won't have my own feelings or my own uh, aspect of, of hurt in the midst of it. But I'm more concerned with how this affects God and whether it hurts them. And there might be a display of anger at some point, like Messiah did by turning the tables. But that was a rare occasion. Now, there were times where he was uh, matter of fact and straightforward with people, but we perceive that that well, your father's the devil, but he was like, no, we're, we're having this conversation, and you don't understand. Your father's the devil. Now, however, they received that. That's on them. But it is important to recognize that we want to. If you're going to be an advocate for God, if you're going to speak things that you're going to profess as true. You must work on perfecting quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, which means that you will be methodical. It is much better for you to speak truth in a very slow perspective. And people will be like, well, why are you talking so slow? Because I want to be sure to the best of my ability that I'm giving this the way that God wants me to give it rather than just going into and talking about it real quick and we're going to get this done and the heart is this and that what benefit is it to speak faster unless you just want to be done with the conversation and therefore well let's just quit talking anyway because you don't want to listen to what i have to say or i don't want to listen to what you have to say i just want to say what i i want to say and when you speak i'm wanting to just refute what you said so i'm listening to oh He's wrong there. So, all right, I can't wait till I can talk because I'm going to get him on that. I'm going to tell him and I'm going to. No, we want to be quick to listen, which means that if you're going to speak about the things of God, be methodical in your speech. And the whole aspect of this is for your own protection. It's, it's not for the protection of God. They can protect themselves. It's for your own protection so that you don't have to answer to God like Job did. Like Job had to answer to God because he was justifying himself rather than justifying God. Hey, whatever happens. Now, he still had the mindset of uh, the Lord gives and the Lord take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He didn't curse God because of it, but he also didn't justify God he justified himself. And we in human form have no ability to be justified above God, to, to put God in the wrong for what 
for anything they do because they can do no wrong because of their status of perfection. If they are perfect, they can do no wrong in the midst of it. And just uh, thinking about other aspects of the body and uh, like correlate the rib cage to the spiritual perspective. Okay, what's the rib cage? You look at the ribs. Okay, what are the ribs? What's the rib rib cage? Well, the rib cage protects your vital organs. It, it surrounds your vital organs so that, and, and it doesn't surround all the organs, okay? But the but they, they main core, it's a protective covering. And that's the representation of Yah being the strong tower. That when you're in that strong tower, uh, they're your, the ribs that are protecting your heart. That, that keeping your heart in intact and in place and so that no attack that comes on it it's going to it's got to hit god and get and penetrate god first before it can get to your heart and this is why you want to make sure that you get in that strong tower of god and it's also interesting men pay attention to this because woman when when she was created in the beginning, now created Adam and Eve were one being. They weren't separated. But God took Eve from the rib of man, which is a representation of her protection for you. And that protection is intended to come in her wisdom. Not in what she thinks, not in intuition, but in wisdom. Because wisdom, what's it say in Proverbs? It will guard your path. It will guide your ways. It will be that protection around your heart that the intention of the wife being to help her suitable is that she's your protection by helping you to see what you can't see. Because she's the wisdom, just like mother being the wisdom of God, she has more details that she can share with you so that you can say, wow, I didn't look at it that way. Yeah, because you look at the big picture. You're a man, and men look at the big picture. Women look at more of the details. And this is not, I won't won't put that to an absolute sense, but in a general sense, that's the way it works. Men are more big picture. They see the big picture, but they don't see the details in the midst of that picture. And women are more detailed, and they'll see all the details and not the big picture. And men will get caught in the big picture without seeing the details, and that will paralyze them. And she will get caught in all the details, not seeing the big picture, and that will affect her. And that's why man is not independent of woman and woman is not independent of man because man is there to help the woman see the big picture and woman is there to help the man see the more details in the big picture. 
so that he's not just looking, okay, uh, it's a, it's a house. I, I see that picture hanging on the wall. It's a house in a field and uh, the sun's shining. And if a woman looks at it, she's looking at the little, you know, oh, look, there's roses over here and there's daisies over there and the grass is green, but why is it brown over here? And there's a little mud spot over there. And what's that up there in the sky? Oh, that's a bird in the sky. And because she's going to look more detailed into it, you're looking at the same picture. Here's the problem is when men, men and women aren't working together as a cohesive unit, unified you're looking at the same picture, trying to explain it to each other, thinking each, both of you are thinking the other person is not looking at the same picture you are. And it is the exact same picture. It's just you're looking at it from the big perspective. She's looking at it from the detailed perspective. You don't understand the details. She doesn't understand the big picture, and this is why you're supposed to work together so that you help her see the broader picture of it. Hey, look, in the end, this is going to be okay. And then she can help you. Look, do you see these details that will help us get to this end? Okay, we want to be, uh, say, we want to be uh, financially comfortable. Okay. So man's like, oh, I make good money and uh, we have enough money to to pay the bills and it's good. That's a big picture. And she's like, oh no, we gotta put it, we gotta do a budget because we gotta set this and we're gonna spend this here and spend this here and spend this here so that we can put this much in savings so that we can have that later on. And generally men don't think from that perspective. And again, I'm not removing the fact that men don't save money and that the objective in this is to recognize that women have a perspective of protection for a man. Man has an objective of, of uh, protection for the woman. And both of them working together, unified, cannot be destroyed. It's an impossibility. They cannot be destroyed if they're working within the confines of the reality of truth of God. And so, again, just bringing out that aspect of the ribs, that, that every aspect of the human body gives you a perspective of the spiritual body. You know, if I'm walking in the flesh here, then I need to figure out how to walk in the flesh spiritually, and the flesh spiritually is one without sin. Walking in the flesh here is one with sin. And if you continue to sin, you're not in the spirit because it's an impossibility for you to be bound to God and still have sin. And that means you haven't crucified yourself with Christ. You haven't had circumcision of the heart. And therefore, you, the only thing that can come out of your heart is wickedness and evil. And the only way for you to get by it is you have to do your part first. See, this is a beauty part. God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Well, look at the perspective of circumcision of the heart. God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. You circumcise your heart, draw near to God. I will circumcise your heart, 
they will draw near to you. You have to do your part first. If you don't do your part, God will not do their part because their objective goal is to see your effort that you want to be right before them, even though you're not capable of being right, but you set in your mind that you're determined you're going to do what's right. And when you don't, that breaks you. You feel that guilt, you feel that weight, and it breaks you because you know that God's going to, that you have condemnation until you have salvation. And that's the choice. You have one or the other, you have condemnation or you have salvation. If you have salvation, you do not have sin. If you have sin, you have condemnation because the wages of sin is death. And it doesn't say, well, the wages of sin is death if you only sin just a little bit or if you uh, continually uh, confess those sins even though you continue to sin, past, present, and future, they're taken care of. No, no, they're not. That there is no sin. In him there is no sin means in him there is no sin. And if you sin, well, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yes. So if you continue to sin and you don't get away from sin, you fall short of the glory of God. And this is the reality of what the Bible says. This is the heart of the Bible that says and tells you exactly what you need. And even wisdom being referred to as a female, wisdom, the wisdom of God, uh, she, well, that's the detailed perspective. And I can see uh, just a, a glimpse of a picture in the creation of what we have here of Abba saying, okay, we're going to, uh, we're going to put plants throughout the whole earth. And mother's like, okay. And then that's why we have all the, the different varieties of flowers and all the different varieties of trees and, and the intricate makings within those perspectives, because God brought about the big picture. Mother brought in the details. Messiah brings in the color, brings in the, uh, that objective perspective, just like you have the, the in the family, Kids bring the joy. Now, there is some aggravation in it, but if you have kids, figure out how to enjoy them in an appropriate fashion. If they're not behaving correctly, make sure you correct that behavior, but enjoy the fact that you have the ability to work and guide them and give them to the best of your ability what they need for true faith in God. And so just, this is just, there's so many different areas that this touches and reaches that every single organ in the body, but our focus today is basically on the heart and knowing that you have the, the two upper chambers, that's what comes in. Everything that comes into your subconscious comes through your conscious mind. It comes through the upper chambers of your heart. So whatever's in your heart, you put there throughout your life. You chose to sin. You chose sin over God. Messiah didn't. You chose to do the things people uh, will complain about their marriage. That, well, she's not this and he's not that. And you chose it. You chose it uh, uh, unless you were forced 
into that union with somebody, and remember that union is a physical union, unless you were forced into it, then you have no excuse that the union between a man and a woman is intended eternal. And so if you don't like it, it's because your choice, because you chose that you wanted this until you finally realized or found out who she really was or who he really was, because all that's hidden in the beginning, because I'm trying to convince you of that you want to like me. And if I'm going to do that, I'm going to hide the things that I know I don't like about me. I'm going to hide them from you until we're locked together. And then I'm not with intention, but I'm going to, okay, I got what I wanted. So now I start to loosen up and she starts to see that, well, you're not who I married. You're right. Whoever you married is not who you married because they were putting on a different persona. And the only time you can have that in reality is having the fullness of faith in God, both parties. But then it's still a struggle. There's still these issues that you have to work through, just like we work through with circumcision of the heart and discovering what we have and all the ins and outs of it. Go ahead. I've been, as Sergio would say, I've been marinating on this as you've been speaking, uh, multitasking. I wanted to, to go back to something that's very important on the listening aspect. It's a twofold thing. It's we are to hear ourselves and listen to ourselves. The listening must be a listening to understand what you're saying because we can listen to somebody and we're really just hearing them. If I'm listening to myself, that means I'm discerning and evaluating what I'm saying. And Messiah had mentioned this, that you look at the speck in somebody else's eye, but you don't consider the log in your own eye because you're not looking and listening and hearing because you, you hear yourself audibly in your mind. Listening to yourself is the key is I'm going to evaluate this. And what is the reason for bringing this out? Is this a, a functional reason, a godly reason? And you ever see this with television programs that people will say that they know something, but you hit them with questions and they refuse to answer or they don't answer the question and they, and they ask another question. And with us in faith in God, if we really know what we're talking about versus we think we know <coughs> questions won't be an issue. And our answering of questions will be, I'll sit here and answer whatever you want me to answer. I'll go into more detail. I, but what happens is, is that, and it's in the lower conscience, people don't recognize it, but it's not that it's one thing to know what you're talking about, but you can still know what you're talking about and then be inappropriate in what you're saying and how you're answering, because we can go out and if we're like, well, we're going to convince people, well, but wait a minute, before we even go out and say anything, 
we're not going to be able to convince people. So if that's the motive, just stop. Then I'm not going to do this. Or if somebody, you, you ask a question and they give a response of something that doesn't, that they don't want it. All right. Listen to yourself. Do I need to continue this conversation? They've already rejected it. Why am I throwing pearls before the swine? I'm going to back away versus, oh, they really are open. Well, I'll bring out more. And it, it just made me think of us as doing the podcast and even speaking to other people that we want questions because we're always prepared to give a good answer. But shame on us if we're avoiding questions or answering questions and not giving a good answer. Because if we, if we really know what we're talking about, we're not going to have a problem with answering any questions. We're not going to have a problem. We're not going to be rushing through to get answers to people. It'll be, all right, we'll sit down. It's going to take some more time, but uh, I will sit down with you and talk to you about this if you really want to know it. And this is coming to mind because it's, um, it came to mind me yesterday that the, we'll go back and listen to the podcast. And it was just one of those where I was just sitting around yesterday. I was like, the reason for that, why it's such a benefit is so you can listen to yourself and listen on your delivery, on how fast we're speaking. And this is coming just directly from a podcast that we had that these same words are coming to mind that if we're getting frustrated and angry as we're answering questions, then it doesn't matter if we speak the absolute truth. It is wrong to bring it out because we're frustrated. We're no, don't. And it's just making just anybody that if you're, because there's others out there, if you know the truth of God, just because you know the truth of God doesn't mean you're right in what you're doing. If you're going out and you're trying to convince and you're getting upset, then no, you're not. Even though you know what is the truth of it, don't speak it. It just, this is just, it's speaking to me huge that, and even today working on this is helping me to slow myself down. I can even tell my speech is slower than it's been before because I'm thinking ahead and I'm really evaluating because I was thinking about bringing out something on the heart that came to mind and I'm not going to bring it out because I'm still rolling it first to know how this actually works before I'm actually going to either one profess it and two, certainly if I'm going to teach it to somebody, I'm not going to do that yet because there's things, but it was just listening to understand is the key thing. Engaging as you're listening to somebody engaging because you really want to know the truth. If you really want to know it, you'll be paying attention. You'll be on top of it and you're not going to get everything, but the more we listen to understand somebody else, we will not interrupt them. We will not talk over them. If somebody is talking over you or interrupting quickly with a quick answer, they're not listening to you. And I know this for me, I'll speak over people and it's speaking to me now that let somebody answer. Even if you know what is right to say, still be slow to speak, still be quick to listen because wait a minute, why am I in a hurry here? Do Phil, we don't need to hurry any of this. Now, we're not saying that this, this isn't a message of urgency to not delay. It is. But there's nothing to hurry because we can't save anybody. But the essence is getting the truth out and making it plain and clear, just like Messiah did. If we go back and read his words, I don't see him speaking fast. I see him speaking, like you said, very methodical. When he's talking to the Pharisees, he's not yelling and screaming. He's saying, when they say Abraham's our father, 
your father's the devil, and here's why. How dare you talk to us like that? Why are you talking to me like this? Abraham didn't do these things. You say that Abraham is your father. Abraham didn't act like this, but you're trying to kill me, one that's telling you the truth. I'm just being matter of fact. I'm not saying that he didn't have a tone or anything, but I agree with what you said. I don't see him just running around quickly because we don't have that. People came to him. He was going and speaking to crowds. He would speak the truth of God plainly. And he spoke as one who had authority, which means that he knew what he was talking about. He knew it was absolutely true. And he knew the reason and the purpose for what he was doing and speaking with confidence that this is the truth and this is not changing. And that's the same goal with us that with what we profess as a truth of God, we should not be wavering in it. If we're wavering, then let's evaluate if we actually know what we're talking about. So the, the listening aspect is always going to be a circular ever growing thing. But the most important thing for me as I'm learning is when you point the finger at somebody else, you're not, if you're quick to point the finger at somebody else, you're not listening to yourself. You're, you're looking to correct them or put them down to avoid your own evaluation. And it's just such a beautiful picture that Messiah gave that when you see the speck, what you're seeing is you're seeing the reflection of your own issue because it, it looks, you're seeing it in them, but really it's a reflection of you don't. And that's the thing you don't, you're not seeing them as a mirror. You don't, see that it's your problem, we'll deal with it within yourself first. Then you can go back and say, hey, I'm seeing this this issue that you have. I've had that and I've been working on it. Let me give you some help on this. But you'll do that in a calm, matter of fact manner. It won't be a quick trying to fix somebody. It'll be, I'll be methodical. I'll be straightforward. So that with the physical and the spiritual aspect, Yah even gives us a spiritual, the full armor of God. Well, we have the helmet of salvation. That's a spiritual covering, just like you would have the skull that protects the brain. You've got the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You've got the breastplate of righteousness. You've got the belt of truth. You've got the feet with the readiness for the gospel of peace. So you have a picture of where we were created in their image and you could look at us like we're an ambassador for Christ. We're his hands and his feet walking around. Like we're not literally his hands just touching people, but we touch people with his hands, with his actions spiritually. So yeah, this is just another, just all of y'all's teachings are great, but yeah, we could continue on with this for hours and hours, but just, uh, just, it came to mind as a help for us first. And for others, that the the listening aspect is so important, especially to listen, to really understand, not not just to hear audibly. And the beautiful part is learning about these things. Whether we talk about the physical body, the spiritual body, the uh, psychology of the mind, getting it from the source of the one who created this being, this this body, and this this creation of who we are as humankind is much greater than any kind of human uh, human teaching that you can get while you're here uh, because they know better than the humans. Now, we're not going to go out and profess, yeah, we, we can uh, counsel you from a worldly perspective because 
uh, God gave us this stuff. No, if we counsel you, it'll be counseled from a godly biblical perspective. And we get that authority from God, not from man. Um, but I'm not going to go trying to do uh, open heart surgery in a hospital to somebody's physical body because I'm not trained for that uh, from that physical perspective, but I am trained in it from the spiritual perspective. And the reality is, is that you need open heart surgery. See, the problem is, is that when you're born into this world, you're born in with heart disease. You, you have heart disease and you're born into it. That that was inherited from Adam and Eve that they disobeyed. Well, that's the heart that we have is disobedience, but it's there for a reason because that gives us the ability to choose to respect God and to walk in their ways and to do things according to what they say, not in according to what I would like or what I think or what I would want. No, we're going to do this in accordance with what God wants. And that's what matters. That what is what the reality of it is. And this is a interesting and good perspective to be able to look at the human body and how it does correlate to a faith perspective. And again, we want our rib cage to be God, that strong tower. But think about it. Your rib cage, yes, it's God. Uh, but what is the rib cage of faith? The breastplate of righteousness. So righteousness, by you living righteous before God, that's what protects your heart. That That's what protects that area that is very important to all different uh, aspects of your body, your lungs, your uh, the distribution of oxygen to the body, and the distribution of oxygen to the body would be a representation of the distribution of truth to the spiritual body. That in the blood of God, the the truth is the oxygen, and that oxygen mother would be a representation of the lungs, where it goes through mother and then comes back to your heart. And then that truth pumps through your spiritual body, which gives you the ability to function and grow and uh, just to live in a spiritual perspective before God. And um, Sean, do you want to share that thought and, and finish us up for <laughs> How did you know I had a thought? this morning? You could see the body language. Just had this come to mind. Remember this in the word of God. There's three that testify the spirit, the water, and the blood. And it made me think about the spirit being mother, the water being Abba, and the blood being Yeshua, because Yeshua is the life, the I'm the way, the truth, and the life, that the life is in the blood. So when we live like Messiah did, we walk as he did, that's the blood that's being pumped. We're in Messiah, the blood of him, his life is just being pumped all through, and that's our, our very life. But no, I've thoroughly enjoyed this podcast. I'm for myself learning a lot from myself and just listening to myself and listening to Jan. This so very much enjoyed it. Hope everybody else enjoyed it. Hope everybody has a good Saturday.
Thank you for joining us today on Hidden Treasures Revealed. We want to leave you with this thought. The greatest treasure in life, and especially in faith, is discovery. If we try to convince you of things, you may gain head knowledge, but if we let you discover things, you will have heart knowledge to know and understand and be able to give a good answer for the faith that you have. Treasure hunters seek treasure nonstop. Seek the treasure of God through conversation with them and through their word. Ask, seek, and knock. Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Seek the hidden treasure of God, and you will be blessed by it.